Blog Talk Radio. And welcome to Circle Sanctuary Network Podcasts, brought to you by Circle Sanctuary, one of the oldest nature spirituality churches in the United States, connecting people of nature center paths around the world. Join us through the week for a variety of shows discussing various topics, celebrating the divine in all of its forms through nature worship, rituals, education, and building bridges of community. Welcome to Nature Spirituality. This is Selena Fox, and we are continuing our exploration of ancestors with a workshop on ancestral places. Let's begin and honor our ancestors and honor land that our ancestors were connected with, if you know that. So, those of you who are joining me live on CSNP, our Internet Radio Network, greetings to you. Those of you who are joining me live on my Selena Fox Updates Facebook live stream, welcome to you. In the comments, if you can um, share an example of a place that you have an ancestor uh, that you know about came from. Uh, it might be a country, it might be a city. Um, I invite you to share that if you wish. And I invite all of those of you who are tuning in later to also join me as we call to the ancestors and we call to the spirits of the land of our ancestors. Ancestors, we call to you. Ancestors, we honor you. Ancestors, we remember you. We connect with your places. We connect with your lands, we connect with your lessons, we connect with your blessings. Ancestors, welcome. Ancestor places can take a variety of different forms. One form is that of a particular location where an ancestor has lived. It might be their childhood home. It might be a home as they were growing up. It might be a home that they raised your family in. It might be a place they lived in their old age. So a lot of different possibilities when you look at specific locations that you would call ancestral homes. If you want to learn about an ancestral home, it's important to get some understanding of its exact location and who presently is owning that home and not to assume that if you go for a visit, 
to a home that once belonged to an ancestor uh, that you will be welcomed without some advanced arrangement. So one of the best things to do is to gather information about one or more homes that a particular ancestor has lived in and then to do some research to check out uh, if that place, if it's a building, a structure of some sort, does it still exist, and who presently is caring for it, living there, and then trying to figure out a way to reach out to them. Now, a really good way for that to happen, especially if it's some kind of small town or rural area, is to connect with the local historical society and mention your connection with a particular person, they may actually have maps and even photographs, you know, after the age of photography came to be, of the place across time. So local history places, historical society museums, and sometimes there's also a genealogical society. It might not have an actual physical location. It might be... Um, a group that comes together and meets at some other place and discuss the genealogical research and sharing of stories. So a really good way to move ahead with visiting an ancestral home is to make contact and get some background that way. You can get a lot of information about ancestral places online. That said, as with any other kind of ancestor work that you do on the Internet, uh, check out the site, make sure it's a reputable site, and also find out who runs the site and how they notate where they're getting their information. So ideally there will be reference lists, there will be links to other sites, that can help you on your quest. So, ancestral homes. And you might know um, an ancestral home that has been in some photographs that have been passed on to you or that some living relatives have, and it might be something that a more current ancestor lived in. Um, you might have, in addition to looking at photographs, there may be stories that are in your own family system about an ancestral home. Uh, try to pull together all the material that you can get through your own family connections as well as from local history and genealogical societies and things that you happen to find online. Some records of the census are available online at some websites, and depending on the census, you may actually have actual locations showing up on the census that represents the home where you, your ancestors lived. I know I was able to find out the location of some of my ancestors on my father's side, not only through oral family history, 
but there were actually phone books that dated back into the early 1900s, and I was able to look at phone books and city directories. Some of the stuff uh, I got online, some of it I had to go to an actual archival library with. Increasing numbers of materials and resources are going online, which makes ancestral home research much easier. In addition to homes, another thing that you may look for, where did the ancestor that you want to check out an ancestral place about, where did they study? Where did they go to school? Were they connected with a religious community? If so, what type of religious community and what kind of religious community records are kept? I found out a lot about my own ancestors from Southern Maryland by physically visiting some old churches, including an Episcopal, back then it was called Anglican Church, that had its roots back in the early 1700s. And in addition to actually going to religious institutions that have land that you have an ancestral connection with, often a, a religious community, often called churches in a more universal sense, uh, have some kind of a cemetery and church records for the church cemetery. I've been able to get information about my ancestors by visiting church cemeteries and churches and going into the church archives and libraries. Um, one church in southern Maryland actually had published a book of their church records, which took a lot of people a lot of time to translate and to interpret the handwritten records and to actually put them in more typed form. And, I, and it's really great when there is an index. And I've been able to find not only information about the names of the ancestors that attended a particular church when they were born, when they were baptized, if it was a church that did infant baptism, when a marriage happened, when births happened, when deaths happened, where burials happened. So a lot of resources about ancestors and their stories can come from a visit online or in person or both um, to an ancestral place. You might also be able to get information about your ancestors by connecting with a cultural center or a museum or some other institution that really is preserving history of a particular local area or people back in time. And sometimes they're known as living history museums. On my mother's side, I'm descended from ancestors who were German-speaking Swiss who came to what was then known as Pennsylvania uh, before the U.S. became a country 
and joined a community known as the Afrida Cloisters. And on my Facebook page for this August 17, 2022, I posted a photograph of myself with ancestral gravestones. I was able to visit the graves of my great, 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 five greats, grandparents. Um, their last name was Keller. And they were very involved with the Ephrator Cloister community. They were what were called householders. That meant they got married and had kids. <laughs> they were also celibate orders, a woman's celibate order and a men's, uh, that were part of the effort of cloisters and actually stayed on site. Uh, it's very likely that my ancestors were on one of the surrounding farms back in the 1700s. I did get to visit Ephrata Cloisters and in person, on site, pre-pandemic several times, and took the tour. And while I wasn't visiting the actual house that my ancestors lived in, they were connected with this religious community, and I was able to go into the restored meeting house and actually be in a place where they worshipped. I also, today, did a visit to Ephrata Cloisters via YouTube. And I share this example as a way that you may be able to go visit an ancestral place without physically going there. In fact, one of the buildings that I had wanted to see when I had my on-site visits hadn't been opened at the time, and I was actually able to visit the Ephrata Academy where my ancestors studied. They went to school. So there was a cemetery. There was a variety of different buildings that have been preserved, and then a lot of records. So another, why I bring up that own case example is it's a really powerful way of making that connection with your ancestors. If you're able to physically go on site, literally, you are on the land where your ancestors dwelled, where they worshiped, where they lived, where they worked. And if there happens to be some archives at the place you visit, if it's something open to the public, you may be able to get actual uh, details that you haven't encountered before. I recommend if you go to some kind of historical living history museum, something connected with a group that your ancestors were part of, that in addition to talking to often they're known as docents or guides, in addition to talking with them, going on tours, go to the gift shop. Most of these are nonprofit organizations, and the money from the gift shop helps support the project, the endeavor. But you also can find in a gift shop some things that may be connected with the era in which your ancestors were at that location. So such was the case with Ephrata, and this is actually a piece of art that's based 
on the Fraktur art that the German-speaking um, settlers of that area created. Members of the Ephrata Cloister um, did this amazing illuminated manuscripts and signs and this um, paper cut um, artistic rendering is actually based on something that was in a printed form with beautiful colors. And I was able to find this in the gift shop, and it's part of my ancestors' connections and collections, and I've used it as part of my way of tapping in to that line of my ancestors. Another thing that you might find helpful is to go to an ancestral area. Here it may not be a specific location of a house where your ancestor lived or a school where they studied or a church where they worshiped. It's a region. And certainly some of my lines are from Lancaster, Pennsylvania. And one of the things that I've done besides visiting a specific location there in a place that is now um, a museum is to drive around the area and to just experience the landscape. And especially the rural parts, since it was very likely my ancestors, um, many of them were farmers, and being able to just be present on the land. Now, sometimes a rural area that you might have connections with gets all built up. Well, you still can tap into what some people would call um, the resonance of ancestral life. Um, some of my ancestors in Virginia were connected with the city known as Alexandria. In fact, in the very first part of my life, I and my parents lived in the Alexandria, Virginia area. And one way that I've been able to learn about some of the ancestors from that area is to actually just go and visit not only the historic places in Alexandria, but to be part of Alexandria as it is today. In fact, I um, in visiting this uh, several years ago, there were some concerts, free concerts in the park. And so my husband and I went out, and it turns out that there um, was some folk music happening in one of the shelters there. And just enjoying the land and being part of a group of people actively connecting with the landscape in a beautiful summer night evening for a concert. I might not bring specific information of what an ancestor might have done back in the 1800s or 1700s or so, or even more recently, but it, it connects you with the land. So I'm big on what I call ancestral travel and planning a trip to be able to connect with your ancestors. And so talking about a journey to an ancestral place now, and I'll use as an example a trip that happened many years ago when I went to Scotland for the first time. And prior to 
getting even getting my tickets, and I was going to be in the UK to speak at an academic conference. So I I decided I would do some research and go through family history notes and to learn specifically about places in Scotland that through the family research that I'd been doing that I had ancestors from. And I, back then, before a lot of the records were put online, I decided that as part of the trip, I'd not only visit particular areas, towns and villages and cities, but that I'd also go to an archive. So I went to the National Scottish Archives and actually got to hold and work with books from the 17 and 1800s that were handwritten records of marriages and births. I mean, it was really amazing. And while a lot of that information um, that has been recorded is starting to be put online, I must say uh, it is really powerful to time travel with ancestral place research and to actually hold actual artifacts and to be at buildings and to walk along streets and be in places that likely your ancestors were at can really help strengthen your connection and often as a result of doing ancestor ritual work, you can call the ancestors to guide you in making the connections, guiding you to the right information to help you connect. I had a very, very distant cousin living in a really old family home, and I managed to figure out a way to call the home, and it was because I reached out to a tourist bureau and because I had enough detailed information about the location of the family home and the name of the ancestors, and it was a small enough town area that they were actually able to get me connected with my cousin. I was able to go and see the old family home that I had dreamed about when I was like nine years old or so and had talked to my father's mother about, and that's when she told me about this old family home in Fife, Scotland. So be aware of intuition as you do your ancestral places visits and research. Sometimes the ancestors speak with us, give us dreams, give us flashes of insight that makes it possible to be able to connect with them. So in addition to planning an ancestral visit and going on an ancestral visit, it's important to document your journey. Now, this can take a lot of different ways, and those of us who have phones with cameras and videos, I encourage you not only to take pictures, but to do some kind of video log. Uh, you might do some short video. You might want to video the landscape tell the story. If you encounter somebody who knows about your ancestral line or your ancestors, to be able to get their permission to either have an audio recording like voice memo or a video recording. 
make some notes if you're going to a place and there's actually um, some books at a, might be a museum shop or some kind of tour shop, but it, you can find some really amazing things um, in, uh, in your visits, physical visits. Now, if you are choosing to do an ancestral visit by viewing some videos, and I actually did that earlier today. I spent an hour and went to YouTube, and I called up Africa Cloisters, and I got a wide range of videos to sample. And there were much longer videos that I haven't yet um, watched because of their length, but some short videos gave me some information I hadn't gotten before. Some of these were professionally produced by um, folk life societies and history um, groups, but some of them were people basically doing their own pilgrimage and, and taking pictures and images and putting them um, online. One was actually uh, had a whole map of the African cloisters, and it was for a senior citizens group that went and visited there, and the map was shown and the individual locations. It was really an amazing way to do a tour of a place without physically going there. In addition to doing some online research and going to the actual site, I want to encourage you all as part of Ancestor Place Research to also do some meditative work. People vary according to um, journeying and different types of meditation, but you may want to develop some skills in taking an inner journey to an ancestral site. It helps if you have some kind of object link to an ancestral place. That might be if you visited the place and you want to return there with a meditative journey, it might be a, a rock or some soil or something that you've obtained from the place, with permission, of course, or it might be a photograph. It might be notes that you have jotted down from an actual experience there, or it might be something you found online. Whatever your focal point is, use that as a starting place, have yourself centered, and go with the intention to uh, not trying to get any real specific thing, but to go call on your ancestors and ask them to guide you as you journey to bring impressions and sensations and understandings to you. Beginning with the focus, tuning into that, closing your eyes, and then allowing yourself to just be, to experience what comes to you. And ideally, you have a way of noting some of this down. I like having some type of small notebook and a pen handy, and then as I'm continuing to be in a meditative state, I'll jot some things down while it's actually happening, or sometimes I wait until I complete, and then I write, write various impressions down. Now, in getting the information, it's really important that you don't try to edit it as it comes to you. Just be aware of it, and don't let your 
rational, analytical, cognitive mind kick in and start debating whether it's true or not. It's more important to let your imagination, your intuitive way of knowing things, just bring impressions. You can sort that out later. Sometimes you can get a real clue for research as follow-up that actually brings you some really important facts and information that helps you with your ancestral relationship and connections. I will be doing some podcasts about ancestor altars and ancestor rituals, and so stay tuned for that. I did one on on kind of an overview, and then I also did one on ancestor stories. And part of the reason I'm doing a five-part series is because they're different facets uh, as part of connecting and honoring your ancestors, having them be an, a living part of your life, a spiritual life with your ancestors. Well, ancestral places would not be complete without talking about going to cemeteries. I mentioned my own experience in being able to connect with some graves of uh, my Keller ancestors. Being able to track down a cemetery location where one or more of your ancestors is buried can be a real powerful way of honoring their lives and it can serve as a kind of portal, even though we're dealing with the final resting place of their remains, or they might have been cremated and the ashes scattered, and there's a memorial stone. In any event, there is a representation, something connecting you specifically with an ancestor, and it's a cemetery space. And cemeteries are their own special way of working with ancestors. I think it's important before you go physically to a cemetery to check out the cemetery protocols. Now, I say this not only because I've gone to a whole lot of cemeteries to connect with ancestor information and ancestral spirits, but because I run a cemetery. And don't assume that because you have the urge to go to an ancestor cemetery that you're going to be able to just go there and show up. Find out when the visiting hours are, what the process is for visiting, and if possible ahead of time, find out specifically where the grave is located, what section of the cemetery. Most cemeteries have a cemetery office, and when they are open, the cemetery office is typically open, and there should be a cemetery map. Some cemeteries also will have an archivist on call or available that could help you take a look at cemetery records. But you shouldn't assume that that's going to be the case. It's better to call ahead or send an email ahead and let them know you're coming and what kind of records you'd be interested in viewing. You can get quite a bit of information about an ancestor from a gravestone, but not all gravestones are in good shape. 
So I recommend that if you are going to an ancestral cemetery, that you take some soft number two pencils and a pencil sharpener and some paper, thin paper, that you can do gravestone rubbing. Some people will use charcoal. Some people will use a really soft pencil. Uh, some will use chalk. Uh, you don't want to harm the gravestone in any way, but you want to take an impression. If you're going to do these gravestone rubbings, uh, be sure that you have some cleanup material uh, so that if you're doing multiple gravestones that you aren't cross-contaminating and smudging and that type of thing. Also bring some type of camera. I think it's really important that you record the information in multiple ways. Take a picture of it as well as if you need to or you want to, to do a rubbing. And anytime I visit an ancestor grave, I take some kind of an offering. Some cemeteries permit flowers. Um, some cemeteries permit actual objects being put there. The cemeteries really vary according to what kind of items you can leave at a grave and how long they're going to be at the grave. Some cemeteries just let the items accumulate. Other ones let items be there for a time and then periodically clean items off. And some of the old gravestones that are in older cemeteries aren't always in the best of shape. And, and it can be really helpful if you find, as you're going to an ancestor grave, whether it's the grave of your own ancestor or it's some other ones you notice along the way. If you see some stones starting to tip or it's been damaged in some way, a tree branches come down or whatever, uh, it's really good etiquette to let the cemetery people know so that they can uh, take that into account and hopefully they have a good maintenance plan to be able to um, take care of anything that um, is amiss. I like to bring an offering of words, of song. Sometimes I will bring something to pour onto the grave. Whether or not you can physically remove any type of dirt or stone from the actual grave site of your ancestor, that's between you and the ancestor and whoever is running the cemetery as to what type of permissions and protocols you need to, to go through. I do think it's important before you even do the collecting of information when you arrive at an ancestor grave to pay respects to the ancestor and then do an offering if you have one and then take the whatever um, documentation that you want to do and then before you leave to give thanks. And I do think that more people are becoming aware of the importance of ancestral rituals and honoring as part of life's journey and spiritual practice. And I am thankful for the ancestors that I know and have worked with. <clears throat> and I'm also thankful and honored those I haven't yet discovered or connected with. 
I'm focusing right now primarily on family ancestors, but the things that I'm talking about with ancestral homes and um, graveyards and cemeteries and places associated with the ancestors also can apply to other types of ancestors, ancestors of culture and ancestors of spiritual tradition. So what I'd like to do now is share with you um, what I call journeying to ancestral places. So to look at an ancestral place is a kind of portal. What is a portal but a gateway from the world of the here and now into the past, into the dimension of the ancestral realm. And one thing that can be really powerful is to have something in mind to do as you arrive at an ancestral place. I actually think that the journey to an ancestral place begins with preparation. And I not only pull together information, get maps and directions and that type of thing, but I endeavor to learn about the space and to do some kind of meditative experience before actually leaving, to imagine myself physically being there. If I have an actual photograph of an ancestor whose home or gravesite or school or church or other thing can, might be a place of work is connected with, then I will create an ancestor altar specifically as part of that journeying work and have items that link me with that ancestor there and then to honor the spirit of the land of the place where I'm going to go and connect with the ancestral place, imagining myself there, imagining myself with the ancestor being at that place, and then at the end of the meditation giving thanks as well as a request for help as one makes the journey. So you got the preparations, and then you have an inner journey. Then you physically go to the place. A really important thing about the journeying to the place, if you're making a physical visit, is to allow a lot more time than you think you need, at least another couple hours. Why do I suggest that? Because there can be unpredictabilities with any type of travel, and a lot of it depends on weather conditions, traffic conditions, but sometimes things happen on an ancestral journey to an ancestral place, which gives you an opportunity to do a little side trip or to be able to complement the place that you're going to be connecting with with some other related journey. Not all ancestral place possibilities may show up with some online research. Uh, not all places that have information, records and photographs, and not all museums have websites. So you might stumble upon 
a used bookstore and it has some local history books and you decide to go in and look around and you might find a book at a local bookshop that has some things that gives you some more clues for how to connect with a particular ancestor or what the culture, what the, the uh, reality was back in the particular era where that ancestor was at that place. So build in some extra time, then have your experience calling on the ancestors in some ways when you arrive. It doesn't have to be a really long ritual or prayer or blessing. And then having your experience with the place connected with your ancestor. And then at the end, be sure to do some type of thanksgiving, not only to the place, but to your ancestor. I think it's a great idea before you leave, as part of your bringing closure to a journey, is to jot down some notes or use a voice memo and do that in an audio way or do a video. You might want to live stream it if you have a YouTube channel and create your own video on the spot. Um, but while you are there, you most likely will have some details that are very fresh in your memory that if you set them down in some way before you physically depart, it helps integrate the experience and it gives you a more detailed documentation of your journey there. And then there is the return to home. Now, the return is also part of an ancestral journey to place because when you've gone to an ancestral place, it does it is a kind of time travel. You're connecting with someone that you're um, resonating with. And even if it's been, you know, 70 years in the past or 150 years or even further back in time, all time is now. So as you work with your ancestor and work with the place, you're in the here and now, but you also are opening a gateway for some understandings, and on a psychological and a spiritual level, that can be very powerful. And pay attention to your dreams over the next two or three days following an ancestral place visit. If you don't necessarily remember your dreams, um, you may want to just invite yourself <laughs> to put some paper and pen next to your bed in case something comes to you. There is a technique called dream incubation. I have several podcasts. We did a whole series on uh, divining dreams. It's part of our podcast archives at CSNT, Circle Sanctuary Network Podcast. So you can get some more information that way. But it might not come in a dream. It might be a flash of insight, or you may be... Um, in meditation, in some understanding, something comes to you. You might even have an image of your ancestor coming to you. So be aware that part of the journey is not only preparing, being there, and returning, but upon the return, integrating the experience into your life, into your own understanding of the ancestor and identity. I'd also like to share about the idea of going to a more universal place connected with your ancestor. Often it takes the form 
of a region within a particular country. Or you might not know the region, you just have the country name and don't have any specific place names. Well, one of the things that you can do online is to do some research about that particular country. And if you have the dates that your ancestor lived in that country, take a look at what kinds of things were happening historically, artistically, what kind of outfits were worn, what was the garb, what um, was the political atmosphere, what type of things were created during that particular era, what museums might have information from that era. Some museums during pandemic time really bolstered their online presence, and it can be amazing to go visit some items in a museum online without necessarily needing to make the trip, the long trip, to get to the place. Um, so one of the things that you may want to also look at are some things in your local area or maybe in the region where you live that are tapped into a particular nationality or culture or spiritual tradition. Um, with my Swiss ancestry, I've been able to go to some Swiss festivals um, here in Wisconsin. I also have Celtic in my ancestral mix, and I've gone to some Scottish games, and some, I went to an Irish center, and I found amazing things just by being immersed in the particular culture, even though I didn't find specifics about details about a life of an ancestor, I get a more fuller understanding of the context in which that ancestor lived life. I um, have some Scandinavian ancestry, and I got to learn a lot about holiday celebrations, especially at the Yuletide holiday celebrations, by going to a Norwegian, and there were some Swedish and some other um, parts of the museum, different folk art and displays, and actually getting a sense of how the Yuletide holidays and Christmas, New Year's, were celebrated across time. So there's many different ways that you can go to places and strengthen your connection with ancestors. I think a records journey is also something I should share before I'm concluding our Ancestor Places um, podcast and workshop. Some courthouses have records of people who have lived in an area, and it can be helpful to get access to records that way. You may want to go into a archive of um, birth records, death records, and 
information that way. And there's all sorts of repositories of information. There may be a genealogical society near you that has a library. And if your ancestor that you're looking to learn more about has some roots in a particular area, going to a place that may have land records, um, might have church records or copies of them, might have photographs that date back in time. All of that can be really great sources for learning about ancestors. In some future podcasts about ancestors, I'm going to talk about an ancestor altar. And I see that an ancestor altar is a particular kind of ancestor place, a place that you create yourself in order to connect with the ancestor. Ancestor artifacts can also be helpful as part of your way for connecting with one or more ancestors. And one of the reasons that I ended up getting this bit of folk art was that it is something that reminds me of my journey to the place, and it also is in a style of a graphic style that was from a particular era in a particular part of the U.S., what's now known as the U.S. So in a way, it becomes a kind of key that helps me journey back. I think being able to do some local history research via um, online videos can be a really good starting place. And and taking a look at the ancestral stories that you may have collected about a particular ancestor. There may be things about uh, ancestors' life in that in stories that have been passed down to you that give you a clue of some places that you may want to go. And a place doesn't necessarily have to be stationary. When I connected with um, ancestors on my father's mother's side, um, some ancestors came over during the colonial era in some wooden ships. So one of my ways of have, connecting with that ancestral line and other ancestors that came over in the 16 and 1700s is actually to go to reproductions and restorations of these old ships. And so an ancestor place doesn't even have to be static. And even if it's not an exact replica of the ship that an ancestor came over to whatever country um, you now are living in or that you're researching, just being able to be physically present, to walk around and to get a sense of it can be really a, a fun thing to do and, and something that can give some insights that you wouldn't necessarily get just from um, reading a website or, or reading a book. 
of one pole ship that I went to um, was visiting. Um, I was living on the Maryland Eastern Shore, and I had some ancestors from there. Nearby Delaware, I was able to go up the coast and actually get on a ship, explore the ship, but take a ride in a big, tall um, sail ship, and they even let some of us steer the wheel and that type of thing. Well, that might seem very touristy and whatever, but for myself, it, it brought another dimension to understanding the era of when that type of ship was used for transportation. In addition to all of these things, <clears throat> I invite you to recognize that the ancestors can speak to us and can strengthen their connection with us in a variety of different ways. And I invite you, as you continue your work with ancestral connections and look into ancestral places that you recognize that you yourself are a kind of ancestor. Even if you do not have children, how you're living your life, you are taking part in a particular era, you have your lifetime, and to imagine yourself as an ancestor of the future and being able to share some of your understandings about ancestors, folk customs, folk art, ways of being, languaging, music, and dance, all of these things you can flesh out the understanding of an ancestor by visiting places and tapping into culture in addition to the story of a particular ancestor. I invite you to consider doing rituals, having an ancestor altar, and having a place in your home where you archive and you collect ancestral materials. One of the things that I have as a repository of ancestral objects is a small wooden chest that my great-grandmother tongue gave to me when I was an infant. And as I have traveled around and have gotten a bit of rock here and um, some images and other artifacts and have had heirlooms passed on to me, I have added them to my um, small wooden chest. When I got married at Circle Sanctuary Land, one of the things we had as part of our hand-fasting ceremony was an honoring of the ancestors and the calling of the ancestors to bless our wedding and our marriage. And I had my ancestral chest and opened it up and let the energy of the passage rite of marriage as well as the spiritual resonances of the different objects there in the chest be a way of connecting with the ancestors. So some of the, the ways of connecting with ancestral places. In summary, looking at dwelling places and grounds around dwelling places, one type of ancestral place, 
places where there have been rites of passage. Where was the ancestor born? Where did the man ancestor get married? If they got married, where did they die? Where are they buried? Um, life experiences places. If they were in the military, where was the military group stationed? Um, what was the career? Where did the ancestor go and have vacation if such a thing existed? Where did they go to school? We talked about cemeteries and memorials and um, homelands, um, regions, nations, places, um, altars and shrines as a kind of ancestor place, and then what I call ancestral crossroads and circles. And some people will do ancestral work Rituals usually are part of this, and at times an altar also is set up at a physical crossroads. Sometimes it's in the area where an ancestor once dwelled, but you can do this in your own home area. And why crossroads? Well, there's a lot of magic connected with that, and I've done some workshops on crossroads magic, but it's a kind of portal, and it's a way of being able to have a crossroads of time at a particular place and to be able to invite and honor ancestors to come and join you. So I, I give thanks to all of you who have joined live, to all of you who have joined later. Ancestors, we thank you. Ancestral places, we thank you. Ancestors, 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 bless us, guide us, help us, learn about you, connect with you. Celebrate you. So be it. So, Sawin is coming in the Northern Hemisphere in just a couple months. So, part of the reason for doing this Ancestor series is to give you some time to be able to explore your ancestors. And for those of you who see Sawin, Halloween, Days of the Dead, all Saints, All Souls Day, the Northern Hemisphere, late October, early November, powerful ancestors' time. Well, it's a really good opportunity to prepare for that by picking one or more ancestors and exploring their lives, connecting with their stories, and finding places that they were part of. Many blessings. Thank you all for tuning in, and thanks again to the ancestors. May they continue to be part of our lives as we remember and honor them. So be it.
thank you for joining us on the Circle Sanctuary Network podcast, presented by Circle Sanctuary and produced for all who follow the Nature Center paths. Join us here throughout the week for various programming connected to the community around the world. And please don't forget to watch for updates on the Circle Sanctuary website at www.circlesanctuary.org. And follow us on Facebook at facebook.com slash csnpodcasts. We can also be found on your favorite podcast hosting sites, such as iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, and others. And until next time, many blessings.